So we have, uh, we've been starting in our Walk Through the Word series, and as we look at Scripture, we see that there's so much that we can learn from, from the beginning all the way to the end. The, the portion that we're reading through right now is Genesis, which will be a lot of narrative. You're going to see really a lot of stories that are spelled out, a lot of situations that we can read about. And I'm hoping that as you're reading through the Word with us, that you're seeing uh, more clearly how things tie together. How Abraham connects to Isaac, how Isaac connects to Jacob, how Jacob connects to um, Esau, his brother, and then also connects to his sons, and also connects to Joseph, who we just read about this last week. Um, I think every single one of us, if we were to be honest, we, we tend to um, know that we're more capable of things than we try to push ourselves to do, right? Like, we're, we're capable of more than what we actually do. Uh, we have certain things we want to hit, um, and we constantly miss we, we aim for certain goals, uh, like we're going we're gonna to save this amount per month, only to realize our budget is overspent in the food category, and we decided to go out to eat more often than we thought originally, right? We, we assume this year is going to be the year that I'm going to do uh, this exercise, and I'll make sure that I lose this amount of weight by this, by this time in the year. Um, we just got through last year. We didn't get there. So we, 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 we set these goals. We set all these things that we want to get done, and we typically find ourselves struggling because the potential we have is high, but the actuality is low many times. Or at least it's not as high as we would like. Um, we, we tend to find ourselves struggling as well in the spiritual walk in the same way. How many of you have ever, have you, have you ever kind of found yourself doing this? Where you actually take a look at your life, you're doing an honest analysis, and you realize how short you're falling to the standard of God's word. Like, this is God's standard, this is me. And I'm trying to get up a little bit, and then I go back down again. And what happens is, how many of you have ever done this? Maybe I'm the only one. You, you, you read the Word, you get convicted, and God confronts you on something, and you're like, I'm going to do better next time. And you just failed the next day. You know, you, you may have done well that day, but for some reason, the next day, you went right back to the old pattern, the old habit. And before long, you're praying the same repentant prayer, Lord, forgive me, please. You see, the Christian life is filled with ups and downs. And as we go through the story of Joseph this morning, I want you to understand that there is a lot there for you and me to take in. Um, we're going to be running through a lot of this because I have something at the end I can't wait to get to. It's going to be really uh, interesting and, and an amazing connection that I didn't pay attention to until I really dug into this text. And I was baffled by how God works sometimes in spite of people's major flaws. Let me put it that way. Major flaws. You see, most people read Joseph and they assume that he was a perfect man that had no flaws. Because scripture really doesn't reveal a lot of the issues that we have with Joseph. Because Joseph's life is filled with really ups and downs. There's good things that happen. There are bad things that happen. But Joseph overall, we would say, is a good example in scripture. Right? When we read Joseph, we're like, he's a great example. He's a good testimony. What you and I don't realize is sometimes is Joseph was just like you and me. Joseph is just like us. Um, he's no different from you and me. He had struggles. He had frustrations. And he probably had sometimes a prideful spirit. In fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. There are things that you and I see in Scripture, and particularly the Bible characters that we read about, that are sometimes mis misinterpretations of who the person really is. I mean, most people will quote David as a man after God's own heart, but then as soon as you and I realize, wait, he blew it pretty bad then it kind of really readjusts and realigns the way we view David if we're being honest with ourselves. You see, the problem is, is most of us, we see the highlights of people's lives. We don't see the low points. 
And in Joseph, he had a lot of highs and lows. And as we get into the text this morning, you're going to see that more clearly. But what I do want to encourage you as, as we're looking through this, realize that I would, I would argue that it's not Joseph's position that was the whole point. It's the reason behind his position. Remember we read this morning uh, before we prayed that Joseph said that God sent me to preserve. Restoration and preservation is the reason that Joseph got the position he received. And I would, I would argue that we as believers, disciples of Jesus Christ, our goal is to restore fallen man to their Savior, Jesus Christ. And to preserve for eternity because God does that preservation, we don't. The reality is, is you and I, we're constantly battling every single day. We wake up and there's a war going on. There's a war inside each and every single one of us. And what happens is we tend to fight certain days more passionately than others. We get up certain mornings with more vigor, with more intensity. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fight sin. And then other days we just go, I'm wiped. Everything I struggled with yesterday, forget it. Forget it. Let this text this morning as we work through this be an encouragement to you. Because Joseph's life is not, you know, all wonderful. And yours isn't, neither is mine. We have our ups and downs. And, and as we look at the life of Joseph, we're going to see more clearly that God has a lot to teach us here. So as we look through the text, I want you to realize that when we look at our lives, we need to pay attention to what God's Word says and not just where we are today. Where we are today will not determine where God wants us to be. Because most of us will say, where God wants us to be is not where I am today, correct? If you're, going to be, if you're going to be honest with yourself, I'm not where I should be. There's a huge gap between where God wants me to be and where I am today. And I'm, I want to be an encouragement this morning that you and I can get there. It will take time. Usually it doesn't happen overnight. Usually any of, any of the characters you see in Scripture that love God, that follow God, God has them go through a journey. In fact, that's the whole process of discipleship, if you've been paying attention to what we've been discussing. It's a journey. It's a walk. Christ wants us to walk with him. He knows you're going to trip up. He knows you're going to fall. The, the analogy of a shepherd is because you and I are sheep that do our own thing, that tip over and the shepherd has to pick us back up, if you will. And as we look at the text this morning, I want you to be aware of the fact that Joseph has a lot for us to learn from. Um, in fact, I was, I was telling my wife last night, Joseph would be... A story that I think even people outside of Christianity can learn so much from. There's just so many practical things. And you're going to see, as I went, I went through the text, I was baffled by all the things that God shows throughout this, this, uh, this text of Scripture. Most are, call, most are caught at times in life wondering if they missed God's calling for their life. There's this kind of prominent thing that a lot of people argue, am I doing what God wants for me to do in my life? And, and people are caught in... Am I doing God's will? It's kind of reworded that way when we grow up many times, if you've grown up in church at all. And what happens is we kind of get this idea in our head that God is trying to hide something from us. And he doesn't want to tell us. And because we don't know exactly, we have to guess at it. And we have to try and figure it out. Um, I, want to, I want to present to you this morning that God is in the business of being very upfront with us about everything he wants from us. He does not hide things from us intentionally trying to pull, pull away from us pursuing him. He wants us to pursue him because he's going to get us to the destination he wants us to get to. He always will. Are there certain gifts that he gives you and me that he may not give somebody else? Of course. But what I mean in, in, in reference to your Christian walk, you need to take one step at a time. It says God's word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. You're not going to see everything out there. 
In fact, Joseph, when he dreams his dream, we're going to talk about that this morning. When Joseph dreams his dream, he doesn't know exactly what that means. He doesn't know the end result. It makes no sense to him. That's why he brings it up to his brothers and his mom and dad. And you and I are not going to understand everything in life. We're not going to understand what God is doing. But I promise you, God is not there to just try to hide things from you. He has plenty that he's revealed, and you need to apply those things. We, we, we spend so much time trying to delve into the mysteries of the knowledge of God that we miss the obvious that he asked for us that day. So if you have your Bibles, please turn. Please turn to Genesis. Chapter 37, I believe. 37. And we're going to look at quite a few different things in this text. But before we start, I want you to understand that this is really the purpose of what Joseph was sent to do. Genesis 50, 20 says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The whole reason why Joseph was given the position he was was to preserve and restore. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Be careful, though, as we start this text, that you don't go through this thinking you're Joseph automatically. You may be the other characters in the story. So I'm just giving that warning ahead of time. Because every single disciple has been called by Christ to reach other people for, with the gospel. And what tends to happen is, when God calls us on a mission, we all have different responses to what God's called other people to. How many of you have ever found yourself excited about what God's called you in life, but not so excited for someone else's call in life? Anybody ever do that? Am I the only one? I'm more excited and passionate about what God's doing in my life than what God's doing in someone else's life. And I want us to pause this morning and pay attention, because some of the things that we're going to read through um, should be eye-opening to you and me, because we tend to actually come at it from a different angle than many times we assume we do. So let's, let's start off here. Chapter 37. We're going to read through the first, first chapter here. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Ja Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So uh, Joseph told dad. Just FYI, if you want to see any flaws, I might understand a little bit of why the brothers were frustrated at times. Okay? Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Um, did we see that in the previous generation at all? What happened with Isaac? What happened with Rebecca? I like Jacob, you like Esau. Folks, we pass the same sins down to our children. Pay attention. This is, this is a thread throughout Genesis. He loved Joseph more than his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. Joseph, it didn't go well the first time. I don't know why you're saying it the second. Okay? But he's going. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told this to his father and his brothers. 
And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So what we see here is Joseph is given a dream by God himself. And he decides to share it with his family. Uh, As we see in the text, the response wasn't exactly pleasant. It wasn't exactly approved. And it wasn't exactly something that they were thrilled with him about. In fact, they actually got upset when he shared this dream with them. In fact, he decides to come back with a second one. Which, like I said, it's, it's amazing that Joseph decided this would be a good idea after the response he got from the first one. I might have only gone to, to dad on the second one. But Joseph decided, hey, time to share it again with both. And one thing that we're going to see right off the bat here, and it's, it's amazing. Joseph's life is quite a journey. It's quite a journey. Uh, we're going to run through some things. Um, if you're interested in really all the points, I know that if you're a note taker, today is not going to be the day for you to keep up. There's going to be a lot to do and a lot to go through. But these are principles that you can draw from the text that we read through. So here we go. Verses 3 through 4, the failed start. We're going to look at the failed start. Some will detest what you've already been given in your life. Some will detest what you've already been given in your life. Genesis 3 and 4. Uh, The brothers could not stand the privilege that Joseph had. They couldn't stand what he had already been given. If you share anything about what you see in your future, others may continue to look down on you. Do you see that at all with his brothers? In verse number 5. And they hated him even more. There was already hatred. It intensified. We're not going to be here all day, I promise, folks. We're going to run through this today. Because I can't wait to get to the end. The end is really the part that I can't wait to share. Your calling may make others uncomfortable that you'll show them up. That's what happens in verse 8. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his, for his words. So there's, there's an intensity that keeps building up. I have notes for those of you that are note takers later. So if you need them later, don't worry about keeping up today. Perfectly fine. Those that support you most may push back at times. Do you know his father supported Joseph? His father gave him the coat of many colors. Joseph was his favorite. But even dad went, Oh, buddy, son, I don't know. I don't know about this one. That support may not be there at times when you expect it. Others will be envious of the things you are aiming for. Look at verse number 11. And his brothers envied him. I think the brothers actually made a connection if they envied him. I think the brothers made some connection to what Joseph was getting at. Though nobody clearly saw what was really going on. Some will notice and quietly observe. His father actually stepped back and just paid attention at the end. Be aware that your presence will be wanted elsewhere at times because you may make others uncomfortable. Later on, Joseph is sent to go talk to his brothers and and, and bring them some food and supplies. And they don't even want anything to do with him. His brothers, in fact, plot... To get rid of him. Permanently. 
permanently. He had one brother who supported him. That is very interesting to see in this text. In fact, there will be those you don't expect at times that actually have your back. Look at verses 21 through 22. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands. His brothers grabbed, were grabbing Joseph and wanted to kill him, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring them back to his father. Reuben was hoping to save Joseph. You may be humiliated and humbled at times in life, possibly by the hand of others. Guess what? That didn't stop there. Reuben goes away, and what do we see? It came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, yet there was no water in it. So he's humiliated by his brothers. Setbacks are inevitable and may come at the hand of those closest to you. And they sat down to eat a meal, then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Well, it doesn't look like your dream's coming true, is it, Joseph? It doesn't seem like you're going up in stature. It seems like you're going backwards. It seems like you're not even getting the prominent position in your home. You're being sold off to slavery. Setbacks are inevitable and may come at the hand of those closest to you, folks. There are so many lessons to learn from all these chapters, I was just blown away by what I could see. Lies may be spread to cover up what happened. It doesn't stop there. They took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of goats, and dipped the tunic in blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether this is your son's tunic or not? They lied to death. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And I feel the most for Jacob here. Others may hurt on your behalf without having all the facts. You remember that Jacob, we talked about this last week, deceived? Jacob paid more dearly here than at any point in his life. In fact, look at what the text says. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. What a, what a travesty. To deceive your father, only to have your sons deceive you. You need to see these connections. These patterns flow from family to family. And there's always a reaping and sowing effect in Scripture. It always, always follows the same pattern. Sowing and reaping. 
There's no way you and I escape that axiom. What we sow, we're going to reap. And we don't get to pick what we're going to reap. Jacob paid more dearly than what he did to his father in the deception that was caused him. And we're going to see later on, it's quite some time before he sees his boy again. Quite some time. Number two, the difficult years. You see, here's the thing. If that's where the story ended, we would look at Joseph's life and go, wow. What a travesty. What a disappointment. But Joseph's life still had a lot of ups and downs to go through. In fact, Joseph, we see in, in chapter 39, verse 1, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the garden, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of the master Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all he did prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So Joseph gets sold off into slavery only to get promoted in a short period of time. God's support, by the way, is the key to success in this life. If you, as a believer, want to see success, particularly God's success, not the world's standard, it's his perspective that matters the most. His blessing. When God pours out blessing in your life, others will notice you see that in the text? Look at verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. You see, if you and I are walking with God, if we're faithful to him, other people will notice that God is blessing us because of that. Let, let me ask you, those of you that are married, do people in the world know that your marriage testifies to the gospel message? Because if they know that, that's a blessing that they can see. Most of us can pick apart when we are around a couple that loves one another and one that are constantly in tension. If you spend any amount of time with them, I'm not saying that the first time you're going to get a great impression, all of us can do a great first impression. But give us all time, and you can see who people are. So Christians, are we successful, if you will, in our marriages to where people see that God is blessing us? You see, Joseph, it was evident to Potiphar that God's hand was on him. Potiphar connected the dots and said, you know what? There's something different about him. There's something different about him. That would be said of us. Others will give you more responsibility when they see you currently succeeding with the tasks assigned. Number one rule in any successful business... You give more tasks to the ones that do the ones they do currently well. You don't assign more to the ones that aren't doing what you've already given them poorly. And God is the same way. God works that way with all of us. If you're faithful in little, I'll give you more. If you're not faithful with a little, the very thing that you have is taken away. That's what scripture actually says. There's a lot there to take in. God's blessing will pour out on others when you, that you are connected to. Did you know that? When God blesses you, you're a blessing to others. 
That's one of the reasons why it's completely blasphemous for a Christian to be blessed by God and not share that blessing with other people. It's absolutely anathema for us to say that we, we, we believe that God is the reason why we're doing everything and why we have everything, and yet we're stingy with all the blessings it gives us. It's blasphemous. It's completely contrary to what Scripture teaches us. So God blessed Joseph, and Joseph in turn blessed Potiphar's house. When you have integrity, people will trust you without supervision. Look at verse number 6. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. I'm telling you, there's so many practical truths in this text. This is probably going to be the sermon with the most application I've ever written in my life. Just every verse, just principle, principle, principle. Just because you are blessed, though, does not mean there won't be those that try to trip you up. It always seems to be going good, and for some reason, there's always something that comes along, or someone that comes along. Right? Look at what happens here. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was that she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand. And fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that he, she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept her, his garment with her until her, his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in, in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So Joseph is blessed. Potiphar's house is blessed. And somebody closest to Potiphar decides to try to trip Joseph up. Don't assume that there's, when there's blessing... There won't be things that happen where people try to trip you up. You see, there's nothing more exciting for evil than to see good get destroyed. You see, there are a lot of warnings in Scripture about these kind of people that Joseph particularly is dealing with right here. Proverbs is filled with illustrations of what to do in that situation. Joseph did the right thing. Most Christians stay and try to fight all the time and don't, and don't run. And then they wonder why they get caught in a big mess later on. There are things you need to run from, and Scripture tells you you need to run from. You don't stay with this kind of temptation. 
But sadly, there's always going to be somebody somewhere or a circumstance that comes along that tries to trip us up. We're being blessed by God. Though you may have a setback, there is still mercy to be found and potentially a new opportunity. Look at this. This is amazing. Verses 21 through 23. We'll start at verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they had there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made prosper. Man, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like a southerner and saying it this way. Can't hold me down. Joseph gets into prison and in no time... Here, Joseph, this is yours. I trust you. Do you see a common thread from what Potiphar allowed Joseph to do and the prison guard allowed Joseph to do? He gave him full authority and didn't even check in on him. Wow, this is a prisoner that was just accused of doing something inappropriate. Joseph's integrity is not put in question in the prison. He actually gets authority. It's amazing. Opportunity will come again to build on. Don't look for quick results right away, though. And the opportunity that came was Joseph is presented with an opportunity to interpret dreams by the butler and the baker. He successfully interprets the dreams and tells, and tells one of them, says, look, when you go back and you get restored, remember me so that I can kind of get out of this jail. I mean, it's a good position I'm holding right now, but I prefer to be outside the prison, if that's okay. But what happens is he's forgotten. He's forgotten. In fact, look at verse number 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Just tried to, he helped him out. Interpreted the dream. Couldn't even get a word in for him. Sometimes it may take time for people to realize who you are. One of my favorite things that I love reading and sometimes picturing the situation is that, have you ever had that, oh yeah, I forgot, moments in your life? This is one of them right here. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, my kids enjoyed reading this with me, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. And behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. 
Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. Shoot, I forgot. In modern vernacular. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream. And one night, he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and he told him, and we, we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us to each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. He was right about you hanging the other guy and me being restored. I think this is the guy we need to talk to. I just love that aha moment that goes on here. You may feel pressure to step up when others don't because you've been faithful in the past. Look at verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Man, there's some pressure there. So I've heard in the past you've interpreted dreams. I'm assuming you can do that again, right? Um, and it's great that we know the ending, right? Do you imagine being Joseph at that moment, though? That's a startling statement. We heard you used to. You said something two years ago. That's why the butler's alive. Well, here's the important part, and I think, I think Joseph nails it. Remember to give God full credit for your success. He is the source. Look at the next verse. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. It's all about God. God's the one that's going to give him the answer. There are times when others will not be able to do what God has called you to do. Joseph was the only one that could interpret those dreams. Sometimes we need to simply reemphasize that it is God who has the answer others are looking for. Joseph once again tells them, this is God that's going to give you this answer. Why we take credit for the things that God does through us is beyond me, but we like that. If you've been redeemed, if you've been rescued by Christ, he gets the glory you don't. Joseph knows it's not him. It's all God. God's the one that's been blessing him. God's the one that's been giving him his position. Whether it was Potiphar's house or in the prison. And even now as he's interpreting these dreams, God's the one that's going to give him the answer. Sometimes we need to simply reemphasize that as God who has the answer others are looking for. Now here's what's interesting. You may be asked to provide the solution to the problem. In fact, look at verses 33 through 37 after Joseph interprets the dream. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh. And let them keep the food in the cities. 
Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So Joseph provides the solution, right? He says, here it is. Here's what you should do. Guess who became the solution? Joseph, right? So sometimes you may be asked to provide the solution to the problem. Your calling may come in the very solution you offer others. In fact, most people don't realize this, but a lot of the times God calls people through these circumstances. They see a problem. They see something that's just not right. They, they know that this needs to be done. They start doing it before you know it, and God's called them to that service. There's a reason why some of us don't start projects, because we know we're going to get sucked right in, right? Like, we know if we get in there, it's going to be me or bust. And I don't want to start, because I don't want to be responsible. Right? Don't tell me I'm the only one that's ever seen that. Like, I, I could see it coming. It's, it, no. I've got enough on my plate. I, need, I don't need to volunteer for this other thing, because if I volunteer for this other thing, I know what it might lead me to. I'm asking and pleading, this is a side note, this is not in my sermon notes. As a pastor of this church, if others are doing a lot of things and they have a lot on their plate, pay attention, and if you can, pull something off. Please. I'll put one practical one out there. If you don't know how to do sound, we'll teach you. We could use somebody later on. Okay? Back at the ranch. It may take a while... To get to where God wants you to be. Look at verse number 46. Look at verse number 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now I want you to take a look at this timeline that we're going to have up on the screen. Look at this timeline. 17 years old, Joseph gets sold as a slave, right? At 28 years old, he interprets dreams for Pharaoh's butler and baker. He's forgotten for two years. At 30, he interprets dreams for Pharaoh and becomes second in command. There are seven years of plenty, so seven more years of good times, if you will, are going on throughout the country and the lands around. At 39 years old, that's when his family comes to get grain. So do the math. How many years? Is Joseph away from his family? Amazing, right? 17, he leaves. He sees his family at 39. You want to talk about a quick success story? Took time. I don't know why many of us think that we're going to get to where God wants us to overnight. But this is the part that's really the best. And you're going to see what I mean by that as we finish. The incredible finish. Others that look down on you for what God has given you may very well come to you for help. Guess who comes back to Joseph? And this time, they're not in the same roles. Their slave brother now is second in command. That's not what happens. That's not what happens. You and I would want that though, right? Oh, they're back. They're back. Look at verse number one. 
Then Jacob saw that there was no grain in, there was grain in Egypt. Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? Stop staring at one another. Get moving. And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, Lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So Jacob sends his sons to go get some food in Egypt. Because guess what? Egypt was prepared. Why was Egypt prepared? Because Joseph interpreted the dream. And Joseph was in charge of the very thing that he said was going to happen. So he made sure that they were prepared as a nation. At times, others will not even realize you have the potential to help them. They don't realize who Joseph is. Look at verse number 8 when they come in. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. That must have been interesting to see. Almost 20 years passes. You don't know. You don't know what your brother looks like at this point. But he knows what you look like. Instead of opting for revenge, see where their heart is currently. This is amazing that Joseph does this. He puts his brothers to a series of tests. And if you've been reading, you'll see he does different things to kind of see where their heart is at. It almost seems like Joseph is just being mean. But what he's doing is he's trying to see where their heart is at. In fact, one of the things that's interesting is I was reading one commentator. He said, Joseph sent back for Benjamin to see whether or not that same jealousy was still in the other brothers. When they came back, remember, Joseph gives him a bigger portion. Guess what his brothers didn't like about Joseph when he was a little boy? Well, I would say boy of 17 at the point that they sold him off, but... They didn't like that dad preferred him. So instead of opting for revenge, see where their heart is currently. It's easier to exact revenge on those that have hurt us. It's harder to stop and see where they are currently. Have you ever, have you ever had, a, had a relationship with somebody where you haven't seen them for years? And the last time you spoke to them, it was just not a good thing. Anybody ever had that happen? And then you re-met up with them, and it was just like a different experience entirely. And you're wondering if it was real. Is that really them? Did they really change? Did that really happen? Folks, it could happen. God humbled these brothers. He really did. And the series of tests that Joseph puts them through prove that to be true. Certain consequences in the present will remind others of their past. Look at this. This is incredible. So Joseph is questioning them. He's trying to make sure that they're telling him the truth. And then, uh, then verse 18, look, we're going to start there and read through. Then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house. But you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will, will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And then Reuben speaks up as, you know, well, I wasn't going to do that. And Reuben answered them and saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. 
And they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. This is fascinating. This is fascinating. But you know what's interesting? Is his brothers connected the dots. Wait, maybe this is for what we did. Maybe this is for what we did years ago to our other brother. And scripture gives you a glimpse here that Joseph was pleading with them not to sell him into slavery. You see, sometimes I don't think we picture the circumstances. We're like, oh yeah, they pulled him out. Yeah, he might have been kicking, screaming a little bit. He was begging them not to sell him into slavery. And his brothers had the audacity to go ahead and do that. But they make the connection, wait a second, maybe this is because of what we did years ago. I think every person at different times in their life makes connections to the past of what they're paying for currently sometimes. And what tends to happen is, here's what, here's what I think is dangerous for us to do. It's very dangerous to do. Oh, no, it can't be that. People come along, no, no, it can't be that. What if it is that? What if it is an exact sowing and reaping process that we're going through right now currently, and we're not trying to connect the dots because we refuse to see reality? You see, his brothers connected those dots. Maybe this is because of that. There's always a hurt from the past. There wasn't just a hurt to the brothers, it was a hurt to Joseph. And he turned away himself from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. You see, that hurt Joseph. Waiting all those years, seeing major ups and downs, and to be betrayed by your own siblings. Some siblings don't get along, but most don't sell their siblings to slavery. This is a low. And it hurts Joseph as he recalls everything that went on. Some will do whatever it takes to get the help they so desperately need. These men, these brothers, go back home. And they're begging their dad to let Benjamin go, and dad refuses. Reuben, Reuben offers his two sons, says, look, if I don't bring him back, take out my sons. Dad still refuses. Finally, finally he's convinced. One of the other brothers tells him to go back. And that he'll be a surety to him. He'll, he'll give him his word. He's going to make sure that this happens. He'll come back safe and sound. Here's what's amazing, though. When God brings restoration to a conflict, there's always a purpose behind it. When God brings restoration to a conflict, there's always a purpose behind it. Look at chapter number 45. We're not going to read everything. What we read earlier this morning. And Joseph said to his brother, verse 4, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery, into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and a ruler 
throughout all the land of Egypt. And Joseph goes and sends his brothers back to get dad. God had this all planned out. God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. Others will still question whether a conflict has been resolved. His brothers trusted that Joseph was telling the truth, but when dad passed away, guess what they still assumed about his, his, their brother? He was going to get him. Turn in your Bible to 50, uh, Genesis chapter 50. Verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph. They didn't even go directly. Saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph spoke when they, wept when they spoke to him. It broke Joseph's heart that they would even assume something like this. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? God Joseph knew his, his right compared to God. Joseph knew that positionally God is still above him. He doesn't have the right. But God meant it for good. Sorry, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph is not just forgiving them. He helps restore them. What a brother. What a brother. Now, final thoughts. Okay? Number one. Joseph's purpose was to restore and preserve the line of Messiah. Now here's the plot twist. Ready? The line of Messiah came through Judah. Not Joseph. I'm reading this. Mind blown. Number three. Judah convinced the others to sell Joseph into slavery. Want to talk about God's grace being amazing, folks? That's incredible. Number four. Judah did not start as a man of integrity. In fact, there's a chapter dedicated to Judah being a disgraceful man. Chapter 38. He was not a man of integrity as Joseph was. Number five. Judah was willing to sacrifice his love life for his brothers, Benjamin. Judah was the one that finally convinced father to let him go and get Benjamin back to restore that relationship. Number six. This is incredible, and you need to turn to this text. 43, Genesis 43. 
I want you just to see the beginning response of Judah here. Actually, it's 44, I apologize. Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ear and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. And then he goes into this full-length intercession for the family. Please, I'm begging. I'm pleading with you, Joseph. Please, let us go home in peace. And guess what? The broken relationship was restored after Judah's plea. Joseph couldn't take it any longer. He just broke down and cried. And number eight, turn for one verse, Genesis 49 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Messiah came from Judah. God's not fair. God is not fair. He is gracious beyond belief. You and I are talking about Joseph. And it's incredible what God did through him. But his one purpose was to preserve the line of the Messiah. And to restore that relationship. That's what the Messiah does for us with the Father. Restoration is what God is always after since the world was created. God had a plan and purpose to restore the severed relationship we would have with him and to preserve us to the end. Jesus became a sin for us to offer himself as a sacrifice for us and intercedes on our behalf having restored our broken relationship with the Father. So in conclusion, two questions. Do you find yourself failing to do what God wants from you because of others? The reason we don't do more for God is sometimes because we don't encourage one another. So my second one is paired up with this first one. What can you do today to encourage somebody to keep going in their walk with God? What can you do to encourage someone in their walk with God? You see, we all need that. That's the whole point of community. And I hope that as you see the life of Joseph and you see the mercy God extended Judah, you see that our God deals in mysterious ways that are beyond our comprehension. And he wants us to follow him. Because he's got great things in store for each of us as believers if we follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this encouragement in the life of Joseph. And Father, we thank you for the mercy extended to Judah. We thank you for the Messiah that we get to participate in the divine redemption that you have planned for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. And we thank you for each and every believer that you've given us the opportunity to be able to minister to. We ask, Father, that you would help us to be an encouragement to others, that we would encourage each other in our walk with you. We ask this in Jesus' name.